Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. This episode features one of the three guests who were part of my weekly hour-long NPR show broadcast over the air every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it is broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival. The 8th annual New York City premiere will be October 2023, along with the 5th annual New York Cat Film Festival before traveling the country, supporting local animal welfare groups. This show is about dogs, cats, and other creatures who share the planet with us. Please check out my other Pet Talk podcasts at TracyHotchnerPets.com. I would not be able to bring you this show without the generous support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Bruce Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian. He personally created many styles of litter to make sure that even the fussiest cats would not have out-of-litter box problems, the number one reason people abandon their kitties. Dr. Elsie also created his own brand of cat food called Clean Protein, the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. This show would not be possible without the longtime support from Waruva, the pet food company founded and privately run by David Foreman, who named it after his rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva is a quirky name for a company with whimsical names for the dozens of different cans and pouches of cat food they make. But what sets them apart is how serious David is about high-quality nutrition. They were the first pet food company to use human edible ingredients and process them in the same facilities that make human food. Other pet food companies may have copied them over time, but Waruva remains privately owned and run, accountable only to their own high standards, not investors who focus on profits. My next guest was actually a guest on Exotic Pets, my wonderful show with Dr. Doug Mater, one of the world's most famous exotic veterinarians. And I just had to share it with everyone here. It's not dogs. It's not cats. It's a little bit of alligators, camels, raccoons, fox, and goodness knows what else. Everglades Outpost is extraordinary, and so is Martha Rivera, who runs it. Take a listen. I am so delighted that Dr. Doug Mater introduced me to Martha Rivera, who runs an exotic sanctuary called Everglades Outpost in Florida. Martha, I can't believe the number of animals you deal with on a daily basis. Is this Was this your, your lifelong dream? I know. I'll have a camel for breakfast and an alligator for lunch <laughs> and then some raccoons and a snake at tea time. Heavens to Gary. Betsy. <laughs> Um, no, actually, I was in the medical field for humans quite a long time. Originally, oh. I wanted to be a firefighter. Oh, you're that person. You're that person that just wanted to do a lot of extreme things. Yeah, I guess you could say that. Yeah, firefighter definitely counts as extreme, especially for females, because you have to like work twice as hard. So, mm-hmm. so what, 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 what did you do in the human medical field before you became an exotic specialist? Uh, I worked in administration in the ER administration so you didn't like have your hand down the throat of something that could have eaten you easily right nope not at that time not at that time but yes now i i i got i fell down a rabbit hole on evergladesoutpost.org looking 
at some of the footage, great videos of the various animals that you rehabilitate and release, and the surgery that Dr. Doug did on that alligator, the nine-foot alligator who had a titanium plate in his jaw because he was like this feisty guy that kept getting in fights. How did you come to be his his savior and then rehabilitator and releaser. How did that particular alligator wind up in your lap, so to speak? So in Florida, you know, there's over 2 million alligators. And when someone feeds them or they've just lost their fear of humans, the state law is that they have to be removed. Um, only trappers can do that. I can go out and pick up an alligator that's ill. So if there's an alligator that, you know, is missing a limb or has been injured in some way, legally I can go out and pick him up. But if it's a healthy alligator that just shows up in someone's pool, a trapper has to go out. And they have a choice of either euthanizing the alligator or bringing the alligator to a sanctuary. Split Jaw, which is the gator in that video that you just spoke about, right, was actually rescued by someone named Paul, who's a trapper, and he had his jaw split, I guess, just from a fight in the wild. It happens. Um, so when he came into our sanctuary, we obviously knew he needed to have surgery, needed to have that wired back up. And, of course, we called Dr. Mader because who else do you call? There and is nobody else to call when you have an alligator that needs surgery on its mouth. No, no one else at all. Correct. And so, you know, we go ahead, get split jaw down there, wire up his jaw. We put him back uh, with all the other alligators, and, of course, Split Jaw decides he's going to get into an argument with someone else and breaks his jaw again. So back down we go <laughs> with this nine-foot, like, three, 400-pound alligator, and that's when he had the titanium plate put in. Um, we can't release them. Once they're brought to us, I cannot legally release them if they're over four feet. So Split Jaw is actually still at the sanctuary. Oh. He's one of our trained alligators. He probably weighs at least a good 100, 150 pounds more now. Um, and we've, you know, had the plate removed, the screws came out, everything. But he, at one point, probably had about $3,000 worth of titanium in his mouth. Yeah, that was one of the things that, that comes out in the video, and I just can't recommend to people enough to watch. It's not gory or bloody or, you know, like no. watching some. No, it's not like that. It's more like, oh, my God, there's six people holding down a supposedly skated yeah. alligator whose legs are moving. He's trying to get away from you guys, trying to move his tail. You guys are bold. I mean, I it's, it's kind of extraordinary. My first question when looking at it was, I understand that Dr. Doug loves all creatures, great and small, as they say, and particularly the more exotic and dynamic of them. But if there's 2 million alligators in Florida, why, and this is a philosophical question, uh-huh. why is it worth all that time and energy and a lot of money to save this one really obnoxious guy that just keeps having brawl, bar brawls with other alligators. Why is one important? I get the whole idea if you save one, you save the world, and that whole idea with dogs and cats. But what about two million alligators in the wild? Should he not die a more natural death and natural selection if he's going to be a fighter who breaks his own jaw? Shouldn't nature take its course? If he were out in the wild, yes. That's what happens. It's a part of nature, and it's a circle of life, and it has to happen. You know, it's it's a circle of life. That's right. why things happen. But once an animal comes under human care, it is our responsibility to provide the best care possible that we can. Wow. 
So even for any of the other animals, I've had other alligators that I've taken down to Dr. Mater that have come in because they, you know, someone fed them something they shouldn't have and they were brought into us by a trapper or, you know, they were brought in because, you know, they had a limb missing when the trapper caught them. And off we take them because, again, they are now our responsibility. It's a complicated we one. Into their ter- it's, yeah, we it, moved into their territory. They didn't move into right, ours. Right, right. No, I understand. I, I ask you because philosophically, other people must ask because you're a nonprofit and you depend on donations. But oh, then yeah. again, there's also many dog and cat rescues that mm-hmm. raise thousands and thousands of oh, dollars yeah. to fix one malformed kitten that that you know that mm-hmm. would never have survived, you know, even domestically, much less in the wild. But people right. want want to or feel morally or ethically constrained to save that one in this case i suppose there's also learning that takes place right i mean doug dr doug knows pretty much all there is to know about these things but there must be other people that learn from what you can do when you're when they're under your care oh of course 100 percent. there's education that goes into it um there's again like what you said you know everybody wants to save furry animals and i'm paraphrasing obviously yes but Scalies are the ones that nobody really seems to be that concerned about. And right. they're just as important, you know, yes. they're sentient beings as well. So, you know, they're all equal in our eyes, but it's, yeah, I see what you're saying. But I'm, I'm asking it, I'm asking it, uh, um, Martha, not because that's what I believe, but just that it feels no, like no, the question that should be asked so that people understand the, the kind of level of devotion to a less, uh, you know, popular critter. I mean, you, you also have a camel in on your website. <laughs> yeah. Like, how did you come by a camel in Florida? Oh, Chewy. Chewy's Chewy. the name of our camel, yep. <laughs> how did you come um, by him? So, Chewy actually came to us when he was about six months old. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the laws in Florida. No. Okay, so let me just dive into that really yes, quickly. Yes, please. It's interesting. That explains... Yeah, well, and that also explains, like, why we have such a variety and why we have all these animals. So, in Florida, you do have to have certain permits to own certain types of animals. However, realistically speaking, it's a joke. Um, <laughs> you mean not anybody not anybody really has the best backyard for a camel? Exactly. Well, and for a camel in the state of Florida, you don't even have to have a permit. Wow. And that's a 2,000-pound animal. Chewy's 2,000 pounds. And although he's very sweet, he's a big boy. And if he <laughs> chose, you know, he chose to get upset one day or he chose, like, he could cause damage. He's a, you know, he's For sure. a huge boy. Yep. Um, so Chewy was actually brought to us by a farmer when he was about six months old. Um, had Chewy, had the mom, had a couple of them. Chewy was born with a hernia. He was really sickly. So the mom rejected him and the cam- the farmer didn't want him because he, you know, they're not financially viable. They're not going to put money into these animals um, and contacted us. And we said, yes, of course, we'll take him in, had the hernia fixed up and all that fun stuff. And there he is 18 years later. Wow. And when you say financially viable, do these camel farmers, if you will, do they breed camels and then sell them to fill in the blank? Uh, me milk i don't know if really it's a something they do much of anymore 
this was again, you know, 18 years ago. Interesting. Um, but there was a couple of places that were doing it. You know, there's also like we have two primates. We have two snow macaques named Suki and Grayson. Um, Suki was brought to us, you know, when she was no longer wanted by a breeder, the same as some of the wolves. Wow, it's it's disturbing that you know that we mess so much with nature, but wildlife yeah. nature, and we mess with it because we want to have the thing nobody else can have. You there's also uh -huh. a great video of you releasing a fox back into the wild. Which is pretty great. Oh, probably a great. Yeah, it's a gray fox. Yeah, those are the best parts. You know, when you that's that's the end game is being able to release whatever's native. That's the point of it. But if they've come under your care and they still have any kind of physical disability, are you expected to give them sanctuary forever and ever? Amen. Yes. Kind of thing. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Basically. Well. Yeah. Like. So the alligators, once they're brought into us, that's it. You cannot release them anymore. You can transfer them to another sanctuary, obviously, if they have the permits, the habitats available. But, yeah, pretty much anything that we can release, we do. But if it has some kind of physical condition or it's too habituated, we cannot legally release it. And it either stays with us or goes to a different sanctuary. It's, it's a whole underside. I mean, I guess that that Tiger King series on television woke people up to the fact that there's some really dreadful abuse and misuse of animals that have no business being in a cage, in a backyard, treated as a pet, treated as a, an amusement. And I guess there's just a lot of these animals uh, kind of under a certain kind of radar that the people interested uh -huh. in them are very aware. And you are the recipient of their misguided notions in a way. That's basically what it is. We get the castaways or the ones where, hey, I bought this skunk and it was really cute, but guess what? You know, now it smells up my house and I don't want it. Or, hey, you know, I have five goats that we bought on a whim and don't want them anymore. Or the tortoises. My God. The tortoises are probably the animals we get the most calls on, surprisingly. Really? People who bought them yeah. as and, and yeah. never knew how long they'd live or how big they'd get? Yes. Yes especially what's called the sulcata, which is uh, the third largest species of land tortoises. Um, and we get, and they're like little tanks. <laughs> I have them in enclosures where I have uh, coral rocks holding them in because they're just such little tanks. Wow. Um, and we get so many calls of that, you know, and, and I can understand. I understand when you look on social media and you see, you know, the cute little tortoise or you see someone playing with, a parrot or a primate or something where someone who isn't in the work of saving animals doesn't see the other side of it. They see the 10 seconds of social media yes. where they're like, oh, my God, that looks like it's going to be a great pet. And then guess what? That fox is peeing and pooping all over your house and they're tearing everything up and they're marking everything, even though you had them neutered. That's what they do. Yeah. You know, that's that's what they're they're driven to do. Well, I think it's it's wonderful that you're there. I don't know what would happen if you weren't there to to be the, the safety net, so to speak. I also saw that you, you have tours for people, even children as young as more than one year old, and you charge a nice hefty fee that helps you keep up your work. Where are you based in Florida? Because I sure wish people would bring <laughs> their families to you and not to the giant corporate commercial you know, 
how much sugar can you pour down people's throats while making them stand online for three hours to whiz around on some oh, mechanized yeah. thing. You know what I mean. Where are yep. you so that we can encourage people? It'd be great for families that want to actually see something real and teach their kids something important. Where are you located? So we are in Homestead, Florida. The state and the county do not fund us. So the way we earn the funding is through the tours, like you said, yep. um, or the self-guided ones. We offer a couple of different ones. And first and foremost, what we always tell everybody is these are ethical tours, meaning that they are guided, meaning that we do not force the animals to do anything they don't want to do. So if you are offering someone some food and they don't want to come down to get it, we're not going to go in and grab the animal and say, hey, you need to come down and do this. <laughs> You know, like, yeah, good. you know, we, we always make sure that that is understood as a sanctuary. Their safety is our primary, our priority. Um, but that's really how we earn the funding for it. Isn't that something? Well, I, I just I'm going to definitely uh, be promoting this on social media afterwards. Thank I think you. what you do is amazing. I think your connection to Dr. Doug Mater is brilliant. I mean, who better to to fix up and sort out? These animals oh God, who get yeah. themselves in a pickle and to watch how cool as a cucumber he is while doing oral surgery on a mouth that seems to be just made of teeth after <laughs> teeth after teeth after teeth. It's like he's got his hand yep. in there. But then again, so did all of you. It, it's great. It's um, it's certainly humbling as well as, as instructional. So I think what you're doing, Martha, is tremendous and I hope also inspires people if they're interested in certain kinds of so-called exotic animals, some of which aren't exotic pets, they're wild animals that should never have been pets, that they'll come and see them at your place instead of having a deluded idea that they should try to have them at their own place. I love what you're doing. It's it's really terrific. Sounds like every day is interesting for you. And it's always an adventure. Always an adventure, yes. And in a way, you're still putting out fires, even though you didn't become a firefighter. You are putting out a different kind of fire every day. And, and hats off to you for that. Thank you so much. We couldn't do it. We have a wonderful team. You know, we couldn't do it without doctors like Dr. Mayer and our volunteers. It's a team effort. Absolutely. You know, there's no one person that could do this. That's right. Evergladesoutpost.org. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible. I hope you will try their products because they support my mission to entertain you with valuable information and advice. This show is supported by Wonderside, a company founded and run by a woman entrepreneur who wanted to find an effective natural way to keep fleas, ticks, and other pests away from her pets and home instead of putting toxic chemicals in or on them. Wonderside makes plant-powered products to keep parasites at bay without dousing your pets and property with ingredients that are harmful to them and the planet. The show is also underwritten by Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two dedicated women who take human-edible, ethically-sourced ingredients and gently cook dog food that is then frozen in pouches and shipped right to your door. They founded and run their own company and have been doing that for 14 years and answer only to their own high standards without interference from venture capital investors. I'm also grateful to Earth Animal, also privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, where they create holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. 
Earth Animal makes a dazzling array of healing products for dogs and cats, as well as the innovative dog chew, No Hide, and the hybrid dog food, Wisdom, which is sometimes all that my picky blue Weimarano Maisie will eat.